Hey, how are you? What's up? This is the Weekly Squeeze. I am your talented and lovely host, Hala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel. This is episode 140. Erev Yom Kippur. Do you have butterflies in your stomach? Because I do. This time of year has me in shvilkes. But today we are going to talk music. I'm very excited about today's episode. It's just me, folks. No interview. You're going to get Hanala for an hour straight, and you're going to love every single minute of it. <laughs> because today I'm talking about my favorite subject ever, Jewish music. And I just got to say how weird it was that halfway through recording this, my mother sends me uh, this Uberman Guys podcast, and the entire podcast is about music. And, and I listened to it, and I learned some stuff. I knew a lot of it already. However, today we're going to talk about Jewish music and how it affects the soul and our children and our people. So here we go. I am not a disciplinarian, which basically means I have a hard time telling my kids no because, you know, there's so many reasons to say yes. This world is just a yes place. Everything around us shouts, yes, enjoy me, look at me, see me, hear me. Communicate with me. There are so many forces around us drawing our attention, vying for our attention, begging for our attention, stealing our attention, and that's just without our phones. And then there's technology, which is just, I mean, the devil lives there. Satan and all its dark forces live on the web. Just, you know, let that sink in for a second. The Tyra, on the other hand, La Havdel Elif Havdelis, is just pure emis, such a contrast when you go and you seek the truth. But back to what I'm saying. I am not a disciplinarian, which means that I struggle with getting my kids to stay inspired. I do. Because inspiring your children day in and day out, it's a real avida, especially if you're not feeling particularly inspired yourself. And like I said earlier, there's so many distractions. There are so many things coming our way. How do we even have time to let the messages that the universe, that Hashem himself is sending us 24 hours a day. We don't have the time and we miss them. We miss a lot of them. When you start connecting with Hashem, which I am noticing more and more this LL as I really make an attempt to renew myself, to reinvent myself. Now, I know my mother's laughing because she's like, you've reinvented yourself. You've been searching since you're 13. <laughs> what version are we up to? We are up to version Hanala 5.0. And I'm not embarrassed. I am not embarrassed that I am constantly working on myself to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to be the right person, to treat people well, to think proper thoughts, and to raise my husband and my children to be good human beings, to treat people with patience and not to be judgmental. That said, aren't we lucky as Jews to have this month for reflection, for introspection, for contemplation, for working on ourselves. When I was growing up, therapy was a luxury. It still kind of is. So the fact that as Jews, it's baked into the cake. It is part of our religious duty. It's part of our religious privilege. A month where we can correspond with God full time. He's like, hey, I'm right here. I'm with you. Whatever you listen to, whatever you say, whatever you read that is connected to me will make us closer. And I will be able to look deeper into your heart and see what a deserving person you are for a good year. And that's where we're at. So yeah, that takes a lot of perspective. And I try to 
learn as much Torah as I can, particularly halacha these days. I go through phases. Sometimes I'm into Hasidus. Sometimes I'm into, you know, Parsha of the Week or whatever. But these days, I've just been thinking about two things. I've been thinking about davening and Jewish music. Because those two things, in my mind, are the experiences that made my childhood so Jewish, so particularly Jewish, the singing and the davening. And that's what I remember. I remember singing Baruch Shamar in school. I remember Farbringens with the Hasidim dancing. I remember the Nagunim my grandfather sang. I remember the Tzlova Zemmer Miami Boys Choir. I remember the the Jewish videos we watched. And, you know, we didn't have that kind of access to music when we were little kids. Music was precious. We didn't have it on our phones. It wasn't always streaming. We would have to call the radio station to request a song if we wanted to hear it. And we didn't have the album. Think about that for a second. You're like, I'm going to drive to my friend's house so I can hear that song that she played in the car two weeks ago, or that you that we heard on the radio, rather. So music is precious, and it's meaningful, and I grew up experiencing my Yiddishkeit through a lens of music. And music, of course, especially when you're Chassidish, um, the it's integral when you daven. So for me, davening has always been something joyful when I'm singing and when I'm Davening and chill. I mean, what is more joyous? What is more pleasurable? What is more enjoyable than standing in a room full of Yidin, Jews with their hearts towards Hashem, praying and singing and praising His name and doing it together unanimously without any doubts, without any suffix. Hashem is our King. That's it. Hashem is our King and we sing it and we shuckle it and we cry it. And we yearn it. And, and the feelings that go through you when you are part of a Yom Tif minion, a Shabbos minion, is just so delightful. It's so delightful. And you recognize how cherished these tunes are and how important they are to how we serve Hashem and how we get turned on to spirituality. And that feeling that you feel in Shul, you can feel that at home. Sometimes it feels like you're in Shul. You're being all Jewish. You're being all inspired. You're, you're in a Shama's ablaze. And then you just go back to Chol to weekday and that kind of spirituality, that tingly feeling like, yes, this is real. This is MS. I'm connected to it. It kind of just fades real quick, which is why it's so amazing the way Yiddishkeit works, that we have this month where not only do we do all this inner work, but we also project through music our relationship with Hashem. And of course, davening is mandatory. I mean, going to a minion is a man's obligation, right? So you go to shul and you get inspired and you sing and you connect. But then how does it, how do you maintain it? How do you retain it throughout the year? So you're probably thinking you just keep doing mitzvahs. You just keep doing mitzvahs. But for most of us, mitzvahs are just a lot of things we have to do. We have to get up and wash Nagavasar immediately. We have to say Berchasashachar before we eat. We have to wash for bread. We have to bench after bread. We have to say the Brachavertzitzis. It just, I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, every single second of our days, we can and should be engaged in some mitzvah, one or the other. I mean, you could just think mitzvahs. It's, it's marvelous. However, how do we stay excited? How do we stay with that high that we had in Shul? And I figured it out. I mean, I knew this all along, but the answer is music. The answer is music. 
playing Jewish music, Jewish songs, interpretations of them, versions of them, covers of them, originals, uh, music inspired by davening. I mean, that's Jewish music. If somebody writes a song because they were inspired by davening, that is Jewish music. It came straight from holiness. So all of this music, and I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it today. What is Jewish music and what maybe is not? And I say maybe because it's a very long, thorough conversation that we're going to have. And it's not something black and white. Still exploring. I'm still exploring. But the point is that Jewish music is the answer. It is the secret to keeping your home inspired throughout the year and keeping you inspired throughout the year. I mean, think about this. And I should do this. I don't know why I don't do this. I kind of know why, but I'm going to make, I'm going to make a change. I know why, because I have teenagers. All right. Whatever the point is, if you can play Jewish music in your house tomorrow, all day long. I don't mean when you're working and when you can't. I mean whenever you can. Whenever you can, put on your favorite Jewish songs. They're findable. They're on YouTube, whether it's an old Mordechai and David, Miami Boys Choir. If you like uh, acapella, I love the Maccabees. They always make me sing. Uh, whatever it might be. Yoni Z, Chaya Kogan. I don't care. Just play Jewish music, Shlomo Karbach, throughout your day and sing along. And sing along to these songs that were inspired by people who we're feeling that connection to Hashem because when you play music, you connect to Hashem and that's why we sing in Shul. So play the songs that make you feel positive, that make you feel alive and use that energy to propel you on with your day. So sing your brachas, put Ishai Rebo on in the car and just crank it up and let everybody sing, Benny Friedman, whatever it is. As you progress with your day, you will notice that you are feeling more inspired. You are feeling holier because the music just makes it happen. It's such a powerful force. Why am I saying all this? Because I want to talk today about the power of Jewish music. And I also want to finally, once and for all, unpack all of it. What I think Jewish music is, what I think Jewish music isn't, and the reality we have to face that as a Jewish nation, we are not impervious to our culture, to our surroundings. And unfortunately, in 2023, one of the biggest challenges of our, I think, our nation's history is the access, the free access that we have to other people's cultures, to their musics, to their religions, to their thoughts and ideas. You have to remember that until the internet, let's go back 500 years, your average teenage girl did not have access to cultures of other people's unless she had access to books. And she would read, and it would take time. It takes time to read a book. You read, and you process, and you put it down, you pick it up. And I'm not minimizing how powerful books are. I mean, people have completely changed their lives because of books and continue to do until this day. Books are extremely powerful. And that's why, as parents, we protect our children from what they read, right? If you are raising kids, you know that one of your deepest fears is that your kid's going to read something that you probably read yourself when you were a kid by accident because that's how books work. They're accessible, they're available, people are curious. If you know how to read and you have access to books, you will read things you shouldn't. And so will your kids. And that's something that you'd be silly not to acknowledge. But 500 years ago, try getting a book. Try getting, living in a shtetl or living in Poland or Lithuania or Russia and going to the library with your library card. It didn't happen. <laughs> but today, but today, Literature, art, music, all of that is available at the touch of a finger. And I think it's safe to say 
and I'm willing to say this, I think it's safe to say that we have lost this battle. We have. We have lost the Jewish music battle. I don't know a kid. I don't know a kid who doesn't know some sort of guy's song. Now, when I was growing up, you didn't listen to guy's music. And that meant you didn't know guy's music because where are you going to access it? You're not going to buy tapes that your mother's not giving you money for. You're not going to drive in a car where someone's playing it on the radio. You're not going to end up in a restaurant where they play guy's music. It, you just didn't have access to it. Later, as people started watching more TV and songs and MTV became more popular, Gaish music started to seep more into commercials and into media. And, you know, eventually everybody knew the most famous Gaish songs in the world. That's just, you know, that's life. But here we are and there is no barrier anymore. So we are essentially, as Jews, living with the Gaim. Like completely, fully entrenched. If you have a phone and your phone brings you any sort of media, you are exposing your Jewish cup, your Jewish soul to Gaish culture. All of it. Because, you know, it is what it is. We are not them and they are not us. And that's why we don't drink with them. That's why we don't eat with them. That's why we don't dance with them. That's why we don't intermarry with them. That's why we don't listen to their music. That's why we don't read their books, or we're cautious at least with what we're ingesting because all of it is from them. We have a source for everything. We have a source for everything we need in our Tyra. And when you say, oh, not everything's in the Tyra, between the Tyra and the Gemara and the Mishnah and the Chassidim and the Kabbalists and the, the modern Orthodox and Lubavitch and the whole gamut, whatever you need to know, and think and feel, you will find in Yiddishkeit. And if you can't find it, you haven't searched hard enough. You haven't. You know, my kids were watching Young Sheldon. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not endorsing it. Netflix, they saw one episode, and everything is bashered because this is what happened. The show is based on the Big Bang Theory with Mind Bialik. Okay, so Sheldon, the main character, the kid, he's going to Bible school? or some sort of Bible competition, and he memorizes the whole Bible. And there's a part where he's arguing with another girl about religion. And he says, because he's a science kid, he's a brilliant kid, he has a tremendously high IQ. And he says, why do I have to argue that God exists? He's like, the, the burden of our, the proof is on you. You want to convince me that there's an invisible elephant in the room. So you prove it to me. And I look at my kids who just heard this, and I thought, no, the burden of proof is on the scientists who have been spending the last forever digging and looking and magnifying and testing and mixing and consulting and discussing and making press releases and museums and dinosaurs and all that based on projections or, you know, theories, ideas. I mean, look around, look around at this beautiful world and tell me that there's not a God. The burden of proof is on them, I told my kids. We, we're surrounded by Hashem. He's everywhere. You can't miss him. And my kids agreed. The question is, how do we live a holy life? How do we live a kosher Torah meaningful life? When we are being infused with an IV, literally with an IV, with Gaish culture, with Gaish music, with Gaish media. And I always tell the story when I talk to Jewish schools about the importance of Jewish music. I say there was once a Sephardi lady and an Ashkenazi lady. 
And the Sephardi lady, surprisingly enough, was a little frustrated that the Ashkenazim seemed to enjoy the Chalun Shabbos day more than her children were enjoying the Chamin. And she wanted to figure out why they were always ooing and eyeing around the pot when the mother opened up the lid. So she went across the street or to her neighbor and she said, listen, Givat, why is everyone so excited about your challenge? So she says, it's the kishke. She says, it's the kishke? That's it? Okay, so I'll put a kishke into my chamin. So she takes the recipe, goes to the butcher, gets a kishke. Now, mind you, kishke in paper is not really authentic kishke. The idea of kishke is that stuffing was put into the kishkes, the actual intestines of animals. You took the intestines and you stuffed them with all the kishka ingredients, and you put that in the pot. They ain't have these fancy parchment papers like we do in the modern world. You actually have to get a kishka. She had to get a kishka. So she brings it home, and she puts the flour and the spices into the kishka, and she twists it on both sides, puts it in the pot. They have a beautiful Friday night. They all wake up early, and they're excited for lunch. And by early, I mean 10.30, because that's when Sephardim eat lunch. Yes, at 10.30, and I've been doing it since I got married, and I personally love it. What, what do you want? I'm a morning person. I wake up hungry. In any case, they surround the pot, they lift the lid, they inhale, and everybody retches. The food is ruined. The food is ruined because the Sephardi lady, although she followed the exact instructions, the Ashkenazi woman took for granted that when you give a Sephardi woman instructions, she follows them to the letter of the law, especially if they're for a recipe. And she forgot to tell her to clean out the kishka. So basically, she took an animal intestine. Do you know what goes through intestines of an animal? And she just stuffed it and put it into the pot. And when it cooked, it smelled terrible. What's the nimshal? The nimshal is that you can have all the right ingredients. But if the environment stinks, everything is going to smell. You're going to ruin everything. And that's how I feel about Gaish music. That's how I feel. Especially because Jewish music that's inspired by spirituality, by Hashem, by devotion to the one above. That is soul music. And everything else, everything else is just secular culture. Secular culture. Or worse, spirituality that was born from Kaya And that's very, very dangerous and powerful and bad. And it makes everything stink. It just does. No matter how beautiful a song is, no matter how awesome Frozen was, and it was great, and the songs are beautiful, and they'll stand the test of time, and there are certain secular songs that are just, listen, I write music. I have listened to a lot of music in my life. I understand why people write it, how they write it, what it is, and how it impacts people. And I will tell you that if you are not careful, and if you just have a diet that is unfiltered and you allow anything in, you don't know what you are being exposed to. You don't know what your soul is reacting to and you don't know the spiritual damage it does. And I don't say that lightly and I don't take it lightly because I have children and my children, bless them, have schooled me. They have taught me that no matter how much I beg, plead, or model because I don't listen to Gaish music. I don't listen to Gaish music. Obviously, I hear it. Uh, I'll sing it once in a while, but I don't actively ever put on Gaish music. I listen to Israeli music, which we'll talk about. And I listen to songs that, you know, I seek out specifically because I feel like I want to hear that. I'm very 
careful and snobby about what I listen to. Let's put it that way, about what I feel and what who makes me feel what. So it's very distressing to me that my children don't have that sensitivity anymore. And how could they? How could they? Think about it. If your kid is living in the modern world, they are being exposed to Gaish music because it's everywhere. It's everywhere because everyone has easy access to it. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we continue to bring that spiritual high from Elul into our lives throughout the year while being reasonable, reasonable about the things that are happening all around us? You, you can't avoid it. It is what it is. A lot of things around us are just here, and it looks like they're not going anywhere, and we just have to accept them, and this is one of them, and we have to talk about it. So when your child asks you if they can listen to this certain song because it's from a Disney movie and they just love it, what do you say? Or when your kid tells you, I cannot exercise to Jewish music, there's just not enough of it for what I'm doing, or I can't get into the zone with what's available or what there is. What do you say? What do you do? Or when your husband loves a certain song or your mother, whatever it might be, we're human. We're going to react to good music. We're going to struggle to turn it off. We're going to struggle to not play it over and over again, ad nauseum, and, and have it get stuck in our heads forever and have it trigger the same feeling we had the first time we heard it. It's remarkable. It's marvelous. It's magical how music can do that. So it's impossible. We're just going to be like, I'm going to refrain. I'm going to refrain. I'm just going to avoid Gosh music. Obviously, there are people who are not into music. Okay, but even those of you who are not specifically into music, you know that music triggers you and moves you in a way that nothing really else does. So I'm just going to assume that all of us having a human experience are enjoying music on some level. So how do we avoid, how do we filter, how do we deal with the fact that we have lost this battle or have we? So I've been thinking about this. I have. I have been giving this a lot of thought now, this month of Elul, uh, more than ever. And because this is what I think about as Hanalah music, as somebody who loves music and gets music and writes music and shares music and sings it and performs it and so on and so forth. So hopefully uh, you can appreciate what I bring to the table today as far as this Jewish music conversation goes. And hopefully, together, we will finally be able to put to rest a lot of different ideas and notions we have about what Jewish music is, what Jewish music isn't, and what kind of diet we should consume so that we don't end up stinking up our lives. Did you know that Hashem made herbs that can help balance your mood? That's right, and those herbs are all in Queen Tulsi. This week's episode of The Weekly Squeeze has been brought to you by Queen Tulsi Daily Stress Relief in a bottle. You get three bottles, non-GMO, vegan, OU kosher, gluten-free, and you take them five days a week. And then you get two days off. What's in this pill, you might be asking? Well, you can go on Caroline Bass Health, and she will introduce you to Queen Tulsi, also known as Holy Basil, the queen of herbs. Yes, that comes in these capsules. Queen Tulsi will help you make Yom to feeling a little more in control. It will stabilize your mood. Plus, it has antioxidants, which is why my skin looks great. I've been taking Queen Tulsi now for two months, and my skin is glowing. I kid you not, I'm filter-free. So if you need a little boost 
or if you want to give a gift to your mother, your mother-in-law, your sister, your aunt, your daughter-in-law that says, I care about you and I want you to feel and look good. And that's why you are going to take Queen Tulsi five days a week and thank me later. That's all I'm saying. So head over to my show notes. There is a link, carolinebasshealth.com. Click on the link, go to her website, and when you check out, use the promo code Queen Hanala and you'll get 20% off. CarolineBassHealth.com because all of us deserve to feel and look like queens. All right, we are going deep in and on this episode. I've been thinking about this subject nonstop for the last 48 hours and my whole life. So yeah, it's just, it's exciting to be able to say it out loud publicly, share my thoughts, my opinions, my advice on... Jewish music consumption, and how we can find the right balance in a world where secular culture streams freely into our homes, no matter how hard we try to prevent it. Homes, our schools, our camps, our stores, and our social media. And let's just talk about that for a second. Yes, we're going to talk about that. About a year and a half ago, there was a reel going around with the audio, share an opinion that will get you canceled if you say it out loud. And I said that Jews, Jewish influencers, should be using Jewish music on their Jewish pages. This was after seeing a particularly egregious reel of young children, religious children, Hasidic children, definitely ultra-Orthodox from kids, jump roping. And the song that was playing in the background was a hip-hop song, and the lyrics were beyond. And it was done with... Zero thought, zero thought that these lyrics were now going to be shared and played in thousands and thousands of homes, Jewish homes across the world. And I get it. And it's so hard to use Jewish music on Instagram and on social media. It is because Instagram is not pushing you the trending top Jewish songs that will get your content seen. Rather, you're offered a bunch of songs that are secular, that are trending, that are right there at the touch of a finger, and who the heck has time to start doing research? I get it. However, however, we are Jews, and we have a responsibility to one another to protect ourselves from or each other from doing harm and causing someone to go down in their Yiddishkeit to descend, whether it's intentionally or by mistake. Why should we be doing that to each other? So, This brings me to the next idea, being that I personally think that it's extremely important that the Jewish music industry remains a community that communicates within each other. Because if you have allies, if you know, for example, and I'm really going off on a tangent here, and I'm going to come back to a lot of other things that I want to express on this in a minute. But if you could say, you know, Avram Fried, Benny Friedman, Ellie Marcus, Eighth Day, all write good Jewish music and they don't let us down. So you kind of know, like, this is a kind of niche or this is a group in the Jewish music industry that really thinks about the listeners, really, really tries, despite everything pushing the other way, beside all the temptations, besides all the pressure, the social pressure to be modern and get with the times, certain singers just know how to do it right. And that means they take time and they think to themselves, I am here to inspire a Yiddish soul. How do you inspire a Yiddish soul? We all know how. With the davenings, with the tefillahs, with the soul music, the music that the shepherds sang, the music that 
I, I, I don't know which Rebbe, I'm sorry to say, but the Rebbe purchased from a Ukrainian shepherd so that he can take that soul shepherd music because it had a yearning that describes how a shepherd feels alone when they're completely dependent on Hashem to take care of their flock. Their flock has to eat. If there's no rain, their flock doesn't eat. So they turn to Hashem and they pray. And those are the prayers that we say in Rosh Hashanah. And those are the prayers that inspire the songs. So we have these performing artists sitting down and thinking, how can I shift over that yearning and put it into a song that can be played in a modern world? A song that can both inspire and sell and, and move. You know, you want your song to spread around. It has to be catchy. It has to be relevant. And that's why, even though you can categorize Avram Fidesz Hasidic and Eighth Day as pop rock, they're both deeply connected to the source. And you can feel it in their music. And you begin to trust those artists because you see that their music is consistent over the years. Now, what happens when an artist makes a mistake, missteps, or goes the other way and becomes a different person and loses the sensitivity to what he once was so deeply in tune with because of poor choices or exploring or just, you know, negativity that clings to the, to the neshama doesn't mean that the spirituality wasn't present there at that moment when that song was inspired. Now, if you live a life where you are in tune with spirituality, you know that man is limited by time and space. So if you take away time and space, the spirituality, the connection to Hashem that that artist had when he was writing the song is continual. And every single time the song plays, it continues to live there because we live in a world where spirituality infuses everything, present, past, above and below. <laughs> therefore, I know this is deep stuff, but therefore, I think it's safe to say that the songs that were written by people who wrote them when they were inspired maintain their spiritual value. That is my opinion. Now, when we want to get down to the nitty-gritty of what Jewish music actually is, we have to ask ourselves how broad are the provisions we give songwriters that would deem all the music they're writing Jewish in our contemporary times, but nonetheless Jewish for all of time. A, a song that's Jewish should be Jewish forever, not just today. So let's go to the most extreme. Christian music, music that you know for sure comes from a different faith. Is that Jewish music ever? Yes or no? Now, if you said no, absolutely not, hang on there. Hang on there. Because as I said earlier, spirituality that is brought down from its source, from above, that's infused in a song, will live in the song. That's if you believe. Now, a Christian song that is written by a person of faith who is writing the song specifically to inspire Christians to deepen their faith in Yashka, in Yeshu, in Jesus, may his name be erased, well, that is very dangerous stuff for a Jew to be listening to. That is spiritual music that is completely ushered to Jews. We stay as far away from the Trinity and from Catholicism and Protestantism and Christianity as we can. So to just play a song and be like, I'm going to sing this now, that's, you know, that's, that's tough stuff. Now, I have, I don't want to say been guilty, but I have done covers of secular songs over the years, including one faith song written by Leanne Womack. Now, at the time that I did the cover, and I'll tell you real quickly what it was, 
The song was called There Is A God, and she sings a country song about how beautiful the world is. And she just looks around the world, and she's like flabbergasted. Obviously, there's a God, she sings. Now, when I heard the song, I, I just, I was like, wow. Now, Leon Womack doesn't sing Christian music. She just sings country music. I did a little research. I didn't see that the song was connected to any faith groups, to any specific religion, and it didn't lend itself to the translation that it was written by somebody believing in a Christian God, but rather a God of the universe. So I changed the words from there is a God to that is Hashem, and I recorded it, and you can get it on Spotify, and it's beautiful. It's my husband's favorite cover of mine. (laughs) In any case, there have been Jewish artists female Jewish artists that have done covers of music that were written by Christian artists. And that's something to to talk about, or that's something to, I would say, even avoid doing as an artist. However, however, and this is a caveat, when a singer takes a song and infuses their neshama into every note of that song, when I redo a song, I play every single note I record every single harmony. By the time I am done producing the song, I am the song. I have connected to the words. I have poured my heart into the message. I have been inspired over and over while singing this particular song. There's a reason why I'm bringing it to you. and not just telling you, go listen to her song. I'm bringing it to you through me. So in a sense, my ruchnis, my neshama, the spirituality, the kosher spirituality that I put into the song now lives there in the version that I recorded for you. And that's why it was so painful when Campamuna canceled the song Compass because it had guyish vibes. Listen, yeah, it's a country song that I rewrote when my cousin Sviki was in a coma. He's since, he since passed. Hashem should give his neshama naliyah tzvi hirsh ben chaim gutta. And... Again, the words were just super inspiring. The original song was lame, but when I rewrote it, it made great sense. And it was just such a catchy, powerful, uplifting anthem that I believed the girls of our generation could appreciate and use for good. And that's, in fact, why it was so popular. And then Campamuna determined that it's a cover of a guy's song and they did not allow the campers to play it. And I had a bit of a problem with that. So as you can see, the subject of what is Jewish music, it's it's not so pushit. It's not so pushit. And that's why I think this conversation should be had. And that's why I often speak to different schools on the topic of Jewish music on Zoom. And we do a Q&A and I relate to their struggle with secular music. And I try to help relieve the guilt because if kids are sneaking Jewish music and feeling guilty when they don't have to be, then that's counterproductive. So we want to be realistic because at the end of the day, the only reason I'm even having this conversation here is because now I have preteen girls who are, or teen girls already, who are exposed to Gaish music and listening to it and liking it and enjoying it. My kids are very musical and they know what good music is. They're Hanalus kids. They love Eighth Day. They love Benny Friedman. We know a ton of Jewish music in this house. My son makes Kiddush with a Sephardi accent. It's the coolest thing. We live music here, but still, still, Gaish music is pulling them in. And I have these frank conversations with them where we discuss these things in an open, honest way based on their genius mother's opinion. <laughs> All right, now, (laughs) before you all start clamoring to take music from YouTube and write a couple of Jewish songs and infuse it with your neshama, hang on there, kiddo. It's not so simple. If you find a track on YouTube, a YouTube track, 
where a producer, in layman's terms, creates a song without the singing. And you can just sing whatever you want on top of it. That's the idea. So if you take that song and you sing your own melody on top of it, you can put out that song. Here, this is a song that I wrote. And that would be true. However, the song, the beat, was written in the style of secular music in 2023. And we are not supposed to go after the game. We are not supposed to follow their culture. We are supposed to focus inward on our culture and develop our music and art and use them for good, for good things. So does the song lack Jewish spirituality? No, not necessarily. Once it's recorded by the artist, as I said before, I, I truly feel like it's been redeemed. On the other hand, there is a responsibility of the artists, and this is what I was saying earlier, artists you can trust, to look for purer sources for their inspiration. If they're perusing on YouTube looking for beats, it sounds to me like they're not emotionally and musically developed enough to be writing Jewish music for the masses. If you want to write Jewish music for the masses, you have to deliberate and think about what you're writing, what you're producing, and what you're sharing, and what you're expressing, and what your message is. And I've been a songwriter my whole life. And the songs that I wrote from my kishkes, the songs that I wrote, like Fatis Khan, I wrote it on Shabbos. I daven, I wrote it with a broken heart. Sister, sister, I wrote it thinking about my sisters, taking over my heart, my business, the city streets will fill, I am the land. These are songs that I wrote with my whole being, with all my soul, with my soul and my heart and my mind and my kids and my husband and my tears and my emotions and my deliberations. They are me. They are completely me. And that's why Bar Hashem, those songs have resonated and continue to resonate with so many listeners. And yes, I'll put links in my show notes that you guys can check them out if you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm an artist. I have a lot of songs. <laughs> I'm also a very successful podcast host. But back to the subject at hand. I want that in 100 years, in 500 years, when people look back and say, what were the Jews listening to in you know the 2000s? Oh, they were listening to Hanala. Let's have a look. And they look at my music, and my music captures the time, the place, the level, the connection that the Jews had with Yiddishkeit at that time. Aubrey preserving something in history. Maybe it's something small, but at the same time, that's going to be my legacy. So when a singer puts out music, they should be thinking about their legacy because music stands the test of time. It lives forever. And I know this because my great-grandmother, Sarah Simanovich, was a poet. And she used to write Yiddish poems and Hebrew poems, just light simple, beautiful love songs, love sonnets about Judaism, about Yiddishkeit, about Am Yisrael. And they would be printed in the back of the Algamainer Journal. And I have a book here that was printed with all her little poems. I wish I knew Yiddish better, that I can sit and read them. But she was an artist, and her poems and her paintings are her legacy. And that's going to live on. And that's something beautiful that we have. So I take songwriting, Jewish music songwriting, very seriously. And I can easily tell when listening to something if the artist did too or does too. Now that said, you never know. You never know. You do not know what's happening on the other side of the microphone ever. Look what happened to what's-his-face with the books, the kids speak books. And this is where you come in, okay? Now, what is our, your responsibility 
wherever, wherever you're holding, whether you're a teacher, a student, a parent, a child, what is your personal responsibility to yourself and to your loved ones when it comes to Jewish music? You know, it's very hard to tell people what kind of music to connect to. If you've ever had your mother force you to listen to Waterloo more than once and tell you, what, you don't love ABBA? What, you don't love the band Bread? <laughs> it's like there's a band named Bread. I just didn't do it for me. And I feel the same way about the songs that I used to love. I don't even bother playing them for my kids because those were my songs at that time in that era that bring me back to being 16 and listening to, yes, rock bands from the 80s on my Discman, you know, on a CD. I There are songs that everybody loves that are universally awesome, but that's also because the radio pushes them. So you have to remember there's a business involved here. But there are some songs that are just everybody seems to love, you know. But ultimately, music is very, very, very subjective. Is it objective or subjective? Whatever it is, only you could decide if you like a song. Only you can decide if you connect to a song. If you play a song that you absolutely think will break anyone's heart to a guy in India who never heard Jewish music before, it's like chalk on a chalkboard to him. So music is very, very personal. And that's why it's impossible to tell someone you can't listen to this or you can listen to this or you shouldn't listen to this because it's going to inspire you in a good way or in a bad way. Every single listener, every single person with a cell phone, every single person was access to digital music. And that's all of us. We have to make those decisions intuitively with our heads, with our hearts and determine what makes us feel more Jewish more connected, more holy, more spiritual. And you know what those feelings are. You just know it. That's the feeling you get when you're davening in shul and your, your heart is just singing with you. Now, I can't tell you what artists are going to inspire you. I, I can't tell you what to listen to. And I say, this guy, he's just such a hard to guy. I'm telling you his music, it's just so holy. It might not work for you. You might need to listen to another kind of music that I might deem not inspiring at all. But what's in my business? What is it my business what inspires you? What is it my business what you are playing at your wedding? So long as I know that that music is inspired by positivity, by living a Jewish life. A song that is pumping up the crowd and being misamech e chasen and kala is a holy song. Should you play that song on a farbrengen? Should you play that song on Erev Tishabav? No. And that's where Seichel comes in. You have to have Seichel. There is a time and place for different kinds of music. Just because a song is kosher doesn't mean it's the right song for every single venue, every single moment, and it's appropriate to play for your elderly grandfather and expect him to enjoy it. You know, you have to be realistic. If you're exercising to a niggin, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so I think it's time to acknowledge that it's no longer, you can't own that record. Nobody owns a cassette. It's not like a kid has guyish magazines in the house and you have to get rid of them. No, to, you, a kid is going to listen to the music if they choose to. So the question is, what are we teaching our children? We have to teach our children that just like food, music nourishes us. And different ingredients, different foods affect different people in a different way. I'd even go so far as saying, and now I'm a scientist, that... According to the blood type diet, every single person needs different kinds of food. So the same is for Jewish music. And that is why we try to ingest, to take in, to absorb as much 
nourishing music as possible, soul-nourishing music, which brings me to the allure of secular music. Why is secular music so tempting? Why is it so delicious? Why does it hit the spot every time? Because it's like sugar. It's junk food. It's designed to be addictive. It's designed to lift you up and then leave you hanging. And that's why they need so much of it because every song is an emotional roller coaster that leaves you feeling empty and then you need another song to fill the emptiness. When you listen to a Jewish song, you leave feeling full <laughs> and nourished. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have sugar once in a while, but sugar is addictive, so be careful. So if you can approach Jewish music, almost like a food pyramid where you have at the top uh, you know, the secular songs that once in a while hit the spot and just make you want to be more Jewish, you can put those in your tiny little triangle at the top where usually all the fats and oils and sugars go. Just, you know, once in a while, you'll be fine. The next level could be like acapella, oldies. Then you put those songs that just, you know, make you feel like a Vildechaya. If a song makes you feel like a Vildechaya, then I mean, unless you're an Uman. If you are an Uman and a song makes you feel like a Vildechaya, by all means, be a Vildechaya in Uman <laughs> for Hashem. But in general, you know the songs that make you feel a certain way, that make you move a certain way, that make you want to do certain things that are just not really normal for you. It takes music to make us exercise for a reason because it affects our bodies physically. So if you need beady music to exercise, by all means, walk to beady Jewish music. If that music is absolutely awful, like my kids say, Ma, I'm sorry, but there is nothing, nothing Jewish that I can exercise to. None of it. It's all awful. It breaks my heart. So we have to be realistic. But if a person is exercising and their serotonin is going up and they're going to be in a good, mu good mood and they're going to come home and they're going to be a better person, that music is not going to ruin them. That music is there as a tool. It's there as a generic tool to help that person exercise. Should you be listening to music that has horrible lyrics? Should you be listening to music that's explicit? No, just choose wisely. There's enough music out there that you don't have to be sucked in. You can make good choices. There's tons of choices out there, really. And for the record, most Disney songs were written by Jews. I know it's not really relevant in this conversation, but Alan Menken, I, he wrote The Little Mermaid. He wrote Beauty and the Beast. He wrote Aladdin. That, that, I mean, he's brilliant, he, he's, and he's Jewish. And yes, I tried to reach him, and he didn't reply. So if anyone knows Alan Menken, send him my way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not the end of the world if your kid knows a Frozen song. It's not the end of the world. Just like it's not the end of the world if your kid eats a fruit roll-up. Should you have fruit roll-ups in your house? Probably not, but I don't think it's the biggest Avera. It's like not number one on Hashem's agenda, like <gasps> she listened to a Justin Bieber song. So... I think the guilt has to go and I think the conversation has to become, all right, listen, kids, I know we love this song because it reminds us of a trip we went on. We're going to sing it and then we're going to get back to Jewish music because Jewish music is really what's better for us to take in and ingest. And yeah, do a little homework, find some good tunes. And you know what? Stop complaining. And I have been a very big critic of Jewish music, but there's plenty of music to listen to. And if you haven't found, you are not looking hard enough. You're not. I love Israeli music. Yes, I turn them off halfway, unfortunately, too often when I start, <laughs> when the lyrics start registering. Um, but there's so many beautiful Israeli songs, like really soulful, great songs, female artists. Uh, there's so much to listen to. And anyways, how much time do you have in your day that you need to have a billion options? 
believe me, you can put together a playlist that will keep you energized and inspired. The right songs at the right time. There are plenty of them on Spotify. And just play Jewish music and you'd be surprised. Play the oldies. Just, you know, this is our culture. And although in Latin, culture comes from the word cultura, growing cultivation, call this a coincidence, but culture is also kol tyra. Our culture is the tyra. And it's all in the tyra. <laughs> That's my theory as far as the word goes. So as far as listening to music in your homes or deciding what to listen to, kind of go with that. Look at your Jewish music diet in a pyramid and just make good choices. That's what it's about, making good choices. Now, if you are a teacher, if you are Hanhala, if you run a Jewish organization, if you have employees running an Instagram account online, you can decide for them what music works for your school, for your business, for your camp. That is your prerogative. The same way we decide what hasherim can be allowed into our shoals and schools, what the dress code is, and yeah, what the music code is. And the principal should be able to determine what the rules are as far as Jewish music goes. And if she's not sure, if he's not sure, you can consult with me. I'll do principal administrative Jewish music consulting. You can send me songs and be like, do you think this is a Jewish vibe? Do you think it's appropriate for camp? Or do you think we should say in our school, in our shul, in our camp, in our mysid, we don't want, we, we're not playing these music. this music. We're not playing these songs. You're entitled. What's wrong with that? But I don't think we should be running after people picking up their earpods and being like, what are you listening to? Now, if your school has a no smartphone policy and the kid's on iTunes, obviously that's an issue. But if the kid is outside of school, instead of chasing them and trying to catch them listening to Gaish music, instead, let us educate our children, our students, ourselves to or of the beauty and importance and history of Jewish music and how it's such an important part of our service to Hashem. Now, I've been doing research on Zalman Schachter for an upcoming podcast episode with Rabbi Dolphin. And I'm watching his YouTube videos, and there he is, a chassid of the Friedrich Rebbe, singing Nagunim with such earnesty before discussing his rather radical religious ideas because he understood that he could perhaps analyze Tyra and come up with a different variation to the way we do things. But to mess with a niggin, to not recognize the power of a niggin, to not connect to Hashem through a niggin, you'd have to be crazy. So yeah, Jewish music, when done right, when used right, when enjoyed properly, is powerful stuff. And I am appreciative of the Jewish artists who continue to write and produce it. Because last I checked, None of the Jewish singers own a yacht. <laughs> the point is that it's it's a vaitas kaidash. You know, my grandfather once told me. Somebody asked him. Somebody asked me rather in front of my grandfather, Rebbeibel Muchkin, Olav Shalom. Why didn't it? Why did you become a, a sheitlamacher like your mother? So my grandfather said because he was always very proud of my singing. He said because Hanala works with people's hearts, not their heads, their hearts. <laughs> And that stuck with me. Jewish music is holy work. So a deep felt thank you to all the Jewish artists who are hitting all the right notes and creating Jewish music for our children, the culture, the 
soundtrack to our lives, the nigunim that inspire us, the rikudim that make us dance the night away at weddings, the deeply delicious, yes, nutritious and delicious Jewish music that has been churned out in the Jewish music industry now for many, many decades. And that actually reminds me of Daddy's passing. Daddy, well, Daddy was just a big superstar. When I was a kid, Daddy was, Daddy Gracher was a huge star. He was a dynamic performer. He had great songs. He was just super talented. He was on the Hask videos. He performed with Miami Boys Choir. He was a great guy. And unfortunately, he passed away this week. He has maybe 12 albums, just dozens of dozens of beautiful Jewish songs. And he passed away this week uh, in his early 60s. So that's a loss to the Jewish community. My point is that we are very fortunate that we live in a time where not just secularism, but Judaism can stream into our homes in so many different ways. Yes, you can get Spotify. There's another kosher app for Jewish music. They pay for advertising, so they're not getting a shout out. The point is, it's not impossible to listen to Jewish music. It's very easy. There's so much of it. And now in Elo, what can you do to do tshuva in the next three days? Just, well, not a job. Play Jewish music. Play Jewish music in your house. You will be singing and crying, and I promise you will do tshuva, and you can thank me later. <laughs> Anyways, I hope this brought a little clarity to the music conversation. And if you enjoyed this, please share it. Not tomorrow, not next week, but now. Right now, just share the podcast. Put it in a WhatsApp group. Send it to somebody. Email it to somebody. Just let somebody know that you thought this was an important episode and that it resonated with you. And don't forget to order Clean Tulsi. The link is in my show notes. And to leave me a five-star rating. I want to see a big increase in the amount of five-star ratings this podcast has. That's all I ask from y'all. And to order Clean Tulsi. Have a good Gebenshpiar, a Gmar Chosimataiva, may Hashem inscribe us all in the book of life. <laughs>